Rami's Age Show, interviewing interesting people so people can learn interesting things. Here is your host, Rami Zaid. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Rami Zaid Show, where I interview interesting people so people can learn interesting things. My guest today is award-winning author, world-class keynote speaker, frequent lecturer for Harvard Business School, executive coach, podcast host, and CEO of her own company, Disruption Advisors, Whitney Johnson. Listed as LinkedIn's top voices in 2020, Whitney is one of 50 leading business thinkers in the world as named by Thinkers 50. I get a pen and paper out for this one, everyone, as Whitney provides a ton of lessons you can take with you. This was a fun one, and I hope you'll have fun too. That said, here is my conversation with Whitney Johnson. This episode is brought to you by Cleanse on the Go. As potential sponsors approached me to advertise on my podcast this past year, I made a conscious decision to only bring on sponsors I absolutely believe in, and Cleanse on the Go is just that. A cleanse for me had nothing to do with weight loss, although it does that as well if that's what you're looking for, but more of a mental reset. I love the two-day cleanse option they have, but you have the choice of either a one, two, or three-day option to cater to your needs and wants. The beauty of Cleanse on the Go is its mobility. As most of my loyal listeners know, I absolutely promote a healthy eating and exercise lifestyle. But I'm a single dad, two kids, working 24-7, so to say I'm a bit busy is a ludicrous understatement. Cleanse on the Go is super easy to use. They're just small packets you mix with water. These small packets can fit easily into purses or pockets and are great for travelers, busy lifestyles, or embarrassingly lazy lifestyles, if that is you. As a listener to the Rami Zaid Show, you can get 17% off your order if you go to their website. It's simply cleanseonthego.com, one word. Pick the cleanse you want, and under discount code, just type in my first name, Rami, R-O-M-Y, and you'll receive 17% off. Do it, you'll love it. Now let's get back to the Rami Zaid Show. Whitney Johnson, welcome to the Rami Zaid Show. Oh, thank you, Rami. I'm so delighted to be here. I mentioned in my show's intro, Whitney, you're an award-winning author, world-class speaker, frequent lecturer at Harvard Business School's Corporate Learning, executive coach to CEOs, a podcast host, and a CEO yourself of Disruption Advisors, which helps leaders grow their organizations, all of which we'll get into today. And I'm so excited for that. But I would love to start with me with where you started, and I believe that was in Spain. Yes. I would love for you to tell the listeners about your upbringing, and subsequently, I believe you found yourself living in Uruguay years later. Please let us know what that was all about. My globe-trotting childhood. I love it. As sometimes happens, my parents got married and they decided they were going to go to Spain and just live in Spain. And they were pregnant with me. And so I was born in Spain. We only lived there until I was six months old. I will say though, not too long ago, I went back and visited, you know, the apartment where they lived when I was born. (laughs) But even though we only lived there until I was six months old, because I was born there, there is something about the land where you are born that it gets in you. And so as a consequence, I always studied Spanish 
in school. I thought I was half Spanish, even though I'm not. Obviously, I'm super Scottish and English, but I always thought I was half Spanish. And that really led me to make a lot of decisions that made sort of Spanish a big part of my world. Grew up in California, in San Jose, went to college, went to Brigham Young University. And then, as you said, I was in Uruguay and that was to as a missionary for my church. What's interesting is that you don't actually choose where you go. They could have sent me to Kansas. They could have sent me to Zimbabwe. I ended up in Uruguay, which allowed me to speak Spanish for a year and a half. And then in my work, when I came back from my mission, graduated in music, by the way. So you have to say music because we're talking about disruption. We have to do yeah. lots of disruption. I ended up working on Wall Street as a secretary, and we can talk about that in just a minute. But that's the Spain connection, grew up in California, the Uruguay connection. And as a consequence, as you can imagine, I do speak un poquito de español. <laughs> you know, it's funny. I did not know the San Jose connection. That's where I was born and raised, Whitney. Oh. And uh, you know if you knew that as well. But yeah, born and raised in San Jose in a little area called Almaden. That's <gasps> out, you know. What high school did you go to? I should have gone to Leland High School, but I ended up going private to Valley Christian High School in San Jose. I went to Leland. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> That's unbelievable. <laughs> Small world. Small world. I grew up right. Be- I grew up right behind Leland High School. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I went to Bret Hart and I went yeah. to Leland. Oh my gosh! Small world. That's great. Oh, that's great. There you go. So, with Spain, when did you come to San Jose? I guess after being born in, in Spain. Yeah. So I, I was six months old. And another oh, fun okay. fact mm-hmm. is that my actually, so my dad went to Willow Glen High School because my huh. grandparents came, arrived in San Jose around the turn of the, the last century. So unlike many people, I have roots going in San Jose going back, you know, 120 years. Oh my gosh. Oh my <laughs> gosh. Small world. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing, Whitney. Yeah. Usually I start off my shows. I do want to get into your career path, as you mentioned, but I like to start my shows off. And my listeners have loved this on how executives, celebrities, athletes, entrepreneurs like yourself start their day. And some are a complete train wreck in the morning. Some are very OCD like myself and some are in between. I would love for you, Whitney, to let the listeners know how traditionally you start your morning. Well, I'm more in the OCD with Rami. I am in your court. I depends on the day, but I wake up somewhere between three and 5 a.m. every day. It just depends. I mean, I don't, I don't need an alarm clock, put it that way. But as soon as I get up, I usually, not even usually, pretty much always listen to some type of sacred or spiritual text or read something just to get my head in a place that I want it to be. So I'm focusing on what I feel like is most important from an existential metaphysical standpoint. And where Whitney, I'm sorry to interrupt you on that because that triggered me. Where are you getting the spiritual? Is this an app? Is this from the Bible itself? I guess, where are you getting this? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's a great question. So One thing that I oftentimes do is something, it's an app called Come Follow Me. So I'm Christian Mm -hmm. and well, actually I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, which is Christian, but it's a Come Follow Me app that gives you a scripture every day. And then also someone talking about an experience that they have with that scripture. It's like two minutes and that's very helpful. So that's one thing that I do every day. Then I look at my goals that I've set for myself for the week, some behavioral goals like Things like, okay, remember to 
think about everybody on your team and how you're going to serve your team today. And think about how you're going to, at the end of the week on Sunday, when you do your sweet sour with your family, how you're going to make sure that you show appreciation for your husband and two children, like being top of mind. Think about how I'm going to make sure I run two miles this week, at Mm -hmm. least one day. So I'll do lots of one mile days, but run at least two miles. So I'll review my goals and then I'll for the week in terms of behavioral, and then I'll look at what do I want to get done today? What is most important? I'll do the things that require me to think and to create early, early in the morning before like seven or seven 30 AM. And then try to do lots of thinking time and not usually take meetings until at least 10 or 11 a.m. when at all possible. Because my best time, I grew up playing the piano. So I was a music major, as I started Uh to say. And so I'm really in this habit of getting up in the morning, practicing piano, like when I was in college from 6 a.m. to 9 a.m. every day. So that is my time. That is my zone (laughs) where I get stuff done. And then the rest of the day I can do meetings, but that's how I start my day. I love that. And uh, I wanted to go back to, you said two miles a day. Are you a runner or into running? Is this a a recent or have you always been running in the morning? I have not always been a runner. Okay. In fact, I write about this in my next book. I'm like pointing to me. So I just, our next book comes out smart growth in January of 2022. And I decided, okay, I want to start running and actually had interviewed James Clear on the podcast about that one person every day. And I was like, okay, I want to start running. How am I going to do this? Because I did not think of myself as a runner. Like that was not my identity. And when it's not your identity, it's really hard to do it. So I said to myself, well, I'm going to start running for five minutes a day, walk 30 seconds, run 30 seconds. Like you can do that, Whitney. And I did that. And then I would add 10 seconds every day. And over time I built it up to, for a while, I was doing like two 5Ks a week, you know, on my treadmill, but I have realized that actually wasn't my goal. My goal is to be physically fit. And so I'll just make sure I run a mile, you know, three times a week and then two miles, at least one time a week so that I'm just staying strong and fit. So, but I built up to it really gradually, like 10 seconds and then 10 seconds and then 10 seconds. So it took me like almost 18 months to get to that 5k. But by the time I did it, my brain had a chance to psychologically adjust to that identity shift of I am a runner. Right. Oh, that's fantastic. That's and good for you, by the way. That's a really good way to not only attain your goal, but get there. Were you doing this on an app, Whitney, or were you tracking it yourself or no, I was, I had a spreadsheet though. I was tracking it initially, but then once I got up to, you know, like 15 or minutes or so, I just kind of was tracking it on my own. Oh, that's great. I wanted to go back, Whitney, you mentioned your career path at the beginning, starting out as I believe an admin assistant on Wall Street. And I think for myself and the listeners would love to hear that path from there all the way up to your current company, Disruption Advisors, on how you got there. Perfect. So As I mentioned, I grew up in San Jose and we almost went to the same high school. Amazing. Yeah. (laughs) I think like a lot of females of my generation. So I late seventies, early eighties, you know, just didn't really know what we wanted to be there. At least for me, there was this vague notion that I was going to grow up and get married and have children. And so I, you know, I'm going to major in music in college, but what am I going to do with music? And, you know, I did the typical girl things of like, I was a cheerleader in high school, like all those things that you would expect. 
But then something really important happened, which was number one, I got married and that actually really helped to ground me and help me feel the sense of security. Sometimes we, people talk about marriage being this thing that tethers people, but in, for me, it anchored me and helped me feel the sense of safety of like, okay, I've got that figured out. Now I can go do some other things. And so I graduate from college. My husband and I both go to New York. He's getting his PhD at Columbia and we're students. Someone needs to work. It's me because he's going to school. I'm a music major. I'm a woman. I don't have very much confidence. And so I start working as a secretary for a stockbroker on Wall Street. So 1345 Avenue of the Americas. But it was really at that point in time of just like, we're going to put food on the table. And at some point I'm going to, you know, stop working and have children. And as I started working, something kicked in for me. My mother had worked and also I'm going to work every day and I'm seeing these young stockbrokers. So this is like the liars poker era and the the working girl era. And I had all these young male stockbrokers, you know, trying to open up these accounts and saying things like, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that you should be buying this stock because they were still opening accounts over the phone. And then they would say, throw down your pom-poms and get in the game and super offended. Cause like I said, I was yeah. a cheerleader in high school, but then it just something clicked for me. And I was like, Whitney, throw down your pom-poms, like get in the game. And so I started taking business courses at night and I had accounting and economics and finance. And then I had a boss who believed in me that I was able to move from being a secretary to an investment banker. And if you know financial services, like that does not happen, but then just started working my way up and I did the investment banking piece. And then I had a boss get fired. And so I moved into equity research, which was a career maker and so that's how it started. And again, I can go on more later, but that was really the beginning of my career. And I was disrupting myself, even though I would not have known to call it that then. The boss that believed in you, what did that mean to you? And what did he or she do that made you feel that way? Yeah, it was a he, not surprising at that time. You know, it's interesting. He didn't do things in the typical, like, you can do it, I believe in you. And I know there are some bosses that are like that. It was more of just we've got this spot and we need someone to do the job and I'm going to put you in that spot. So he just gave me the, he just opened the door for me. And I think that that's actually really important because maybe we envision that we're going to have a manager who is like this prototypical idealized, they're going to tell you, you can do it, but sometimes it's enough for someone just to open the door and say, go do that job and make it possible for you to do it. And that's what he did. His name was Caesar Bias, just to give him a shout out. Oh, I love it. Now, so fast forward, and I think you there was a children's book you wrote in the middle of all of that, but you get to Disruption Advisors, your current company. Yeah. Why start the company? Yeah. Okay. So let me give you a little bit of high level stuff to get you to here. So please, I do the equity research. I end up being a really good stock picker on wall street, institutional investor ranked, did that for 10 years. And then I disrupted myself. I left wall street and I was going to go be an entrepreneur. And that's when I wrote this children's book, which never got published someday. It might for my children, my grandchildren, Yeah, right. <laughs> but I wrote it and that it was very meaningful for me because it was very autobiographical as you can imagine. And then did lots of entrepreneurial things during that period, many of which did not work. We we're trying to do a kind of American Idol meets soccer in Latin America. It did not happen. Great idea. It didn't happen. Lots of things like that. But then I connected with Clayton Christensen and 
that was a game changer for me because I was this equity analyst. I'm looking at the markets, trying to understand why wireless keeps beating my estimates around wireline. I read the innovator's dilemma and I realize that is what ha- is happening. Wireless is disrupting wireline. So now I had this explanatory mechanism. I'm like, this guy is brilliant. I read all his stuff and then I think, oh, disruption isn't just about products, it's about people. And so I left Wall Street, disrupted myself again, found my way to Clayton Christensen, eventually started a fund with him and his son, Matt, that was investing in disruptive innovation, did that for about five years, so grateful for him. And then it was in 2012 where I started to do what I do now, which is I said, these ideas, there's something here, this idea of personal disruption, we can apply this to people, this S curve that Rogers popularized, this applies to people. I wanted to chase that down. I had written an article in Harvard Business Review called Disrupt Yourself, big surprise, and just wanted to build this. And so over the last 10 years, it just started out with, I have this idea and I want to start speaking about it, but it's only been over the last 10 years. Over the last very long 10 years, <laughs> I've been building this business. And now I have a business partner that I'm building with Amy Humble. Fantastic. And I, I want to come back to the S-curve. And I love that about you know all the readings I've done in your books, which to mention your books, Dare, Dream, Do, Build a Dream, Disrupt Yourself, and a new one, which we'll get into again later, coming out in 2022 called Smart Growth. Your book, Disrupt Yourself, we were talking before the show. I love that book. I just listened to it again for the second time on audiobooks. It's fantastic. And for you listeners that do not know about Disrupt Yourself, I kind of see it, and this is just me, it's more of a, a lifestyle change. It can be business, of course, but for me, it was a lifestyle change. And it's recognizing what you're good at, finding ways to apply those strengths in whatever market you need to pursue. And as the title says, you're then disrupting yourself, right? Mm -hmm. Since you live and breathe it, Whitney, I wanted to ask you the question, how hard is it for people to disrupt themselves? And what are some key triggers that enable them to do that? Mm. Yeah. So I think disrupting yourself is a muscle and you can get better at it. You know, if you think about when you're disrupting yourself, let's just talk about definitionally what we mean. So if you've got, let's picture some graph paper, everyone who's listening, and you've got this y-axis that's vertical of of success, and then you've got this x-axis of time. And when you disrupt yourself, what are you doing? You're some point on the y-axis, let's call it a 12. And your life is sort of this over one, up one, over one, up one. So it's working. Your life is working. When you make that decision to disrupt yourself, what you're doing is you're making this conscious, conscious decision to step down, step down on that ladder of success down to a 10 because you believe that in the future, it's going to be over one, up two, or over one, up four, over one, up six. The reason, so you know that it makes sense. You think about anytime anyone makes an investment, um, CapEx, you're stepping back in order to grow. But our ego, um, Richard Rohr said this, you know, prefers almost anything than changing or dying. So we don't like to do that. We don't like to disrupt ourselves. It's very difficult to do because we feel like we're stepping back. And yet we know that only growth can take place when we are willing to step back from who we are today to slingshot into who we want to be. You're talking about it in the book, Disrupt Yourself, talks about it from a career mobility standpoint. And everybody who's listening can probably think, yeah, I can think of a time when I disrupted myself because everybody thought I had lost my mind. That's when you know you're disrupting yourself. (laughs) But there are also these micro disruptions that happen every single day. Like 
I disrupt myself when, for example, I'm talking to my husband and he asks me a question and I snap at him because I'm trying to do something else. And then afterwards I say, oh, that wasn't very nice of me. And I go and I say, honey, I'm really sorry. I was in the middle of something. Please forgive me. And he does. But that's disrupting myself, right? I'm not doing what I was doing. And so there's the big stuff, but there's also the little stuff and both are required in order for you to grow. But again, our egos do not like that. Our egos like the status quo. Sure. And you mentioned the little stuff. That's a good segue to another question I have for you in that you've mentioned that to disrupt yourself, you have to figure out not only what your strengths are, yep. but what your definitive strengths are. Mm-hmm. And when I've listened to that in your books before, my question was, how can you find what your definitive strengths are? Yeah. Yeah. So it's a great question. So there's lots of things that you can do, like strengths finders, for example. One of the things, so, and I recommend it. And there are also some questions that you can ask yourself and things like what exasperates you. And what do I mean by that? Well, when you find yourself talking to someone, in fact, I just, right before our call together, Rami, I was having a coaching call. When you find yourself saying to you or anybody around you, but everybody knows how to do that. Like, (laughs) what's the problem here? Everybody knows that. Like, why do I have to state the obvious? That is a signal to you that that's a strength. Now you then have to deal with being patient and all that good stuff, but you now are aware, oh, there's something that I'm actually really good at that not everybody else is good at. So that's one question you can ask yourself is what exacerbates you? The other one that I think is really valuable is just pay attention to the compliments that people give you. We tend to deflect immediately. Like I could give you a compliment and you won't remember it in five minutes. I could say something unkind to you and you will remember it for 30 days. We tend to deflect those compliments. And so, but when you give me a compliment or I give you a compliment, I'm actually holding up a mirror. I'm saying, this is what you do well. This is what you're really good at. And so I would start with those two questions of what exasperates you and what compliments do you dismiss? And then the challenge becomes, all right, starting to be aware of them because you can be blind to your strengths as much as you're blind to your weaknesses, then be willing to own them. Because they're so reflexive and so easy for you, you can be like, well, that's not valuable. Like, because I just breathe. It's like breathing for me. And so one of the challenges for us is if we're going to make an idiosyncratic contribution in the world, we need to be willing to not only identify what we do well, but also be willing to own it. Do hard things, but do hard things that leverage what you do uniquely well. Very well put. I had another question. This one's a little bit more selfish. You have mentioned before that the need to disrupt oneself comes around the age of 40. Oh, I started this podcast at 39, turning 40. And I was just curious why you believe that age is, you know, so important from that tipping point. Yeah, it's so important. Yeah, it's a great question. And I guess you're over 40 now, right? Because you've been doing this longer than six months. Yes. Is that a compliment or was that not a compliment? (laughs) I'm kidding. (laughs) Yes, I am. Take it however you want. (laughs) What I will tell you is that we would not have been in high school at the same time. That is what I can (laughs) tell you. There you go. Okay. So it's based on developmental psychology. 
so Eric Erickson, he was a developmental psychologist. And one of the things he looks at the different stages of people's lives and what happens around the age of 40. And there's also some great work by Richard Rohr, who's a Franciscan friar called falling upward, but some great work about when you turn 40, something's happening for you where you say, okay, I've done all these things, but what do I really want to do with my life? And so there's this yearning, this longing to make this shift almost to kind of like shed your snake skin. And so what happens sometimes is that people are having this yearning and this longing, and they don't know what to do with it. And that's when they do these really stupid things like go out and you know, spend way too much money and, and have extramarital affairs and do these things because they're like, something needs to change. There must be something wrong with your life. And it's like, well, no, it's just saying it's time for you to continue to grow. And so when you can be aware of that, you can use that and you can channel that in really constructive ways to say, it's not that I don't like my life. It's not that I don't like my family. It's not that I don't like my job. It's just that I need to continue to grow. And so what does that need to look like? And I need to disrupt myself, but how can I do that in a really constructive way? Great again. And I wanted to ask and, or come back to, I should say the S curve of learning. I know you love it so much. I believe E.M. Rogers, 1962 comes from there. Why do you love the S curve of learning so much? And can you explain maybe what the S curve of learning is for the listeners? I like that you said, I love it so much because I do. (laughs) I think the reason why it was so compelling for me is, is so we're investing at the Disruptive Innovation Fund. We're using this S curve. And so he used it to look at how quickly a social trend would be adopted, whether it's a decision to you know, use fertilizer for corn. I mean, you know, decision to have children go to kindergarten. So all sorts of social phenomena. But when we were using this for investing, and you probably noticed a a pattern here is I like to take business concepts and figure out how they apply to people, because then you can actually operationalize them. I looked at that S curve and I said, okay, what's happening with the S curve? Well, it tells you at the base of that S growth is really slow. So adoption is slow, but then at some point you reach this tipping point that 10 to 15%, you move into that area of hyper growth where people adopt really quickly. But then at some point you reach saturation or carrying capacity, if you're thinking about biology, and then the growth tapers off. And as I was looking at, at that, I thought we can use this as a model to think about how we grow as human beings. Like every time we start something new, Whenever we start, you know, a new job, we'd start a new role, we start a new project, we start a new hobby, start a new relationship even, we are at the base of that S. And so now we know, okay, growth is happening, but it's not apparent. So it's going to feel slow. So I'm going to feel impatient. I'm going to feel discouraged. I'm going to feel overwhelmed. Situation normal. It tells you, all right, once I put in the work, then I'm going to move into that sweet spot, that steep, sleek back of that S curve. And now Whereas everything felt slow, it's going to feel fast and it is fast and it is exhilarating and it is so much fun to be in that place. And then it will tell you, oh, now I'm at the top of my S curve because I'm no longer enjoying the feel good effects of learning. I've kind of figured a few things out. I'm starting to get bored. Doesn't mean I don't like my job. Doesn't mean I don't like my family. It means that I need a new challenge. And so I've completed that move up that S curve. And so in order for me to continue to grow, I need to honor that growth cycle and either move to a new S curve or find a way for it to be a summit, not the summit. So for a relationship, for example, you Mm -hmm. say to yourself, okay, I'm at a summit, 
a plateau, if you will, but this relationship matters to me. So I'm going to figure out a way for this just to be the sweet spot, move myself back in the sweet spot so I can continue on the growth of that curve. So that is a model. It's a simple visual model. As you think about it, your life, you will realize, oh yeah, my life is a series of S curves. My jobs are a series of S curves. It helps you understand and have this model for thinking about where you are in your growth. And once you know where you are, you increase your capacity to grow. And since I care about people growing, that is why I love the S curve. Whitney, is the S-curve something, uh, because we obviously know you love it, is this something you're cognizant of in everything you're doing every day, whether it is yes. relationship, work, call, whatever that is, yeah, you're cognizant of it. And are you also tracking, I'm at the base of, of this relationship or project or whatever, or right now I'm here, I need to get to X. Yeah, all the time. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, for example, I'll do it personally, like, you know, I noticed that I'm actually, because our society is so focused on working, working, working. And I came from wall street where we worked lots and lots of hours. I got in the habit of actually not being very good at taking vacations. Like I didn't know how to do it. And so then I'm like, okay, I actually want to get good at taking vacations, but that means since I don't know how to do it, I'm not going to be very good at it initially. I'm going to be at the launch point. It doesn't mean I shouldn't take it. It just means I'm not going to know how to do it. The other thing that I've noticed is that I had on my podcast, I was like, I have a lot of people who are either first or second generation Americans. Like, why is that? I realized, oh, because when you're an immigrant, you know how to disrupt yourself. Like you instinctively know how to do this. You're good at moving through that growth cycle. Mm. And then with our team, with our company, we'll say, oh yeah, we're on the launch point of this. I guess we need some people who are experts in mastery so they can coach us along it. So we constantly, it's like, it's part of the parlance of how I operate. It's the lens through which I see the world actually now. Yeah. Whitney, how are you continuing to disrupt yourself? Mm. How much time do you have? <laughs> we have some time. So all the time. I mean, I would say every single day I'm constantly, you know, at the end of the day looking at, okay, so what worked well, what didn't. So quick example, just you know, last week I delivered a keynote. I'm getting ready to deliver another keynote next week. And I just was with my team and I said, okay, I need you to give me feedback. Like what worked, what didn't, and, you know, give it to me unvarnished. And then they gave me this feedback and they're like, yeah, that didn't work. That worked. That didn't work. And I'm like, okay, now I've got to redo my keynote. That's disruption, right? You're disrupting yourself. So I would say all the time. I mean, I think the other thing that I'm doing right now, kind of on a bigger level is okay, so we have this business. It's not just this small thing, this thing that I do. Like, how do I become, go from being a founder to a CEO? And that requires so much personal disruption because it's a very different thing of being an individual contributor to leading a company. Yep, absolutely. You mentioned your podcast, Whitney. I love your podcast, by oh, the way. I just, you. I listened again to the John Tesh one. I think that was your most recent, yeah. um, which was great. And I wanted to ask, there was a question I forgot which podcast this was of yours, but a question that came up and you did a great job in answering. And the question was, why would someone want to disrupt themselves? Oh, and would love for you to give the feedback on that question. Why would someone want to disrupt themselves? Yeah. Yeah. Well, let me paint an image for you. Have you ever seen a pond where the water is not flowing, where it is algae ridden and there's lots of scum on the top of the pond. 
I have, have you ever seen that kind <laughs> yes, of font? Yes, I have. Yes, I have seen that, that font. Is why you would want to disrupt yourself. Mm, interesting. You don't want to stagnate. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, disruption, that decision, lots of times, fortunately, we get disrupted. That's the gift that COVID gave to us. Yeah. We were all on an S curve and COVID came along and said, we're going to put you on a new S curve. And that's part of the gift, right? All this post-traumatic stress that's happening is we all now have this momentum that we're moving along the S curve. But back to your original question is, is that I believe that growth is our default setting, like we are wired to grow. And so if we are going to honor that growth cycle in us, sometimes we'll get disrupted, but if we're really honoring it, we're going to be willing to disrupt ourselves. What does the Disrupt Yourself podcast do for you, Whitney? Oh, it does a lot of things and we could compare notes. So I first started it because I really like interviewing people. I mean, I think it's fun to get to have this moment, right? Of conversation, like we're getting to have right now. It's fun to get to have that moment. So that was one reason why I wanted to do it. That was the initial impulse. Then I realized, oh, when I get to do this, then it also, some things that have come out of that, it helps me when you read my books, you'll find, oh yeah, so much of the primary material in my books is from podcast interviews. Like you'll read it, you'll be like, oh yeah, micro, I see micro in there. Oh yeah, I see um, Jeremy Andrus in there. Oh yeah, I see Michelle McKenna. Like these are all stories in the book because yeah. you've got these in-depth interviews. So it ends up becoming primary re- material and research. The other reason that I enjoy it or benefit of it is that people are able to feel like they're able to get to know you better when you're talking versus through the written word. So that's another way. So it ends up being lead generation. But I think the thing that I, the two things that I love the most are one is being able to have a conversation. And when I'm interviewing someone, have them feel like I saw them and who they were. And then for a listener to be able to say that made a difference for me. That's the payoff, right? I mean, like all the other stuff is good, as I said, and we're running a business, so we need to do that. But that moment when someone says, I just listened to this podcast and I'm doing this thing differently because I heard this person say that, that's gold. That's gold, right? And I think that last point, you nailed it, Whitney. I mean, at the end of the day, if there is one listener that listens to this podcast and you've changed their life or given them a new S-curve, that's everything. I think that for me personally, at the end of the day, that's definitely one of the the highlights of this podcast is changing people's lives. Even if you don't know you've done so, you may not get the feedback right away, but Mm -hmm. I'm glad you said that. because I think you're not only changing lives with all the things you do, but that podcast is fantastic. Oh, and then there's one other thing, Rami, that we didn't even say. The work that we have to do in preparing for a podcast, right? You read the books, you, yes. you know, how many books do we end up reading a year in order to prepare for a podcast? So it's going to school every single week. Yeah, exactly. Your book, your new book, uh-huh. Smart Growth, comes out in 2022. Yep. Would love, Whitney, for you to let the listeners know what this new book is all about and where we can find it eventually when it does come out. 
Yeah, well, you can find it right now. It is available for pre-order and it's uh, 11122. So 11122. We got super lucky with that number. Love it. So it's called Smart Growth, How to Grow Your People to Grow Your Company. And what it does, we've talked about the S-curve briefly, and it just does a deep dive on the S-curve. So in Disrupt Yourself and Build an A-Team, it was there, but it was kind of like a supporting actor. And in this book, it is front and center. So what we do is we talk about what it is. And then we talk about the launch point and, and the idea of exploring and then collecting. And then you get in the sweet spot and you're an accelerator and then you're a metamorph and then you get into mastery and you're an anchor and then mountaineer. And so I talk through this emotional arc of growth for the individual, because it always comes back to the individual, but then there, are, and then the ecosystem have to have the ecosystem. And then there are interludes between each of those sections around how does this now, if you're a leader or a manager, how does this apply to you building a team? How does it apply to your organization? So we've got those as interludes, but really it's the fundamental unit of growth in any organization is the individual. So that's what we're focusing on is how do you grow faster? I will get on the pre-order. I did not know that. So that's really good to know. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, Whitney, looking back, what has been your favorite part of your career up to this point? Oh, right now, hands down. Love it. Would that always be the answer for you? Would it be right now? You mean, has it always been? Yeah, has it always been right now? Because I'll say that with my kids that, you know, my kids are oh, 12 yeah. and 10 and I would say, oh, yeah. oh, this is the best age right now. This is the best age right now. But I guess why right now? Yeah, because I'm in the sweet spot. Yeah. I'm in the sweet spot because I'm doing things that I'm good at. I'm doing things that are new. We're building something. I get to build it with people that I like. I mean, there's very rarely that I'm actually doing stuff that I really don't want to be doing and we're building something. So yeah, definitely right now. Great answer. Whitney, with every show I do, I end my shows with some fun rapid fire questions. So talk about building a new S-curve and getting out of your comfort zone. Are you ready for some rapid fire? I am ready for some rapid fire. Okay. <laughs> My first question is your walk-up song. In Major League Baseball, when Major League players go up to the plate with a bat in their hand, they get a song. It's a little clip, but they get a song to pump them up, get them in the zone, whatever that is. And Whitney, you're coming up to the plate with a bat in your hand. What is your walk-up song? Can I have two? <laughs> you can have two, sure. You'll probably get two at-bats in the game. <laughs> Yeah. So I have two and they're slightly different. So the first one is, which is probably a more obvious one is let's get it started by black eyed peas. Great one. Yeah. It's a great song, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just, that would be one of them. And then the other one is probably, it's a little bit, a little bit less obvious, but it's a meaningful song for me is don't you worry about a thing. And, you know, originally Stevie wonder sang it, but Tori Kelly sang it in the song, in the film sing where there's, you know, the elephant on stage and kind of coming into her own. I just love the lyrics of that. I love the song. I love the sentiment of it, of just people unfolding and, and the growth that takes place. So that's a little bit less obvious, but it's a meaningful song to me. Oh, I love that. Good answer. Next one. What is one thing Whitney Johnson does not mind spending money on? Books. Oh, interesting. I've not had that answer yet. That's a great answer. I love oh, that. Oh, yeah. I never, ever, ever feel like, Oh, you shouldn't buy that book. <laughs> that is fantastic. Besides your own books, what's your favorite read as of late? So it's hard because I'm re I like I have this stack of like all these nonfiction books 
that I'm reading. Like I just read Impact Players by Liz Weissman that I really like. Mm. So I'm going to give you a fiction. I love young adult fiction. So, because it's just so uplifting and inspiring. So a book called Esperanza Rising, which is old. It's like a children's book, but it's just lovely. And then I'm reading the book by Doris Kearns Goodwin on leadership, which is really good. And then right now I'm in the middle of The Lions of Al-Rasan by Guy Gabriel Kay. I love Brandon Satterson. So I like, I love fantasy. Yeah. Oh, interesting. Those are good. I'm writing this down as we go. Those are good ones. (laughs) Good, good. Okay, next question for you. Uh, favorite quote. Some have a quote that sticks with them on a daily basis. Some wake up and have a different quote every day. And we'd love to know, Whitney, if you have a favorite quote of your own. Okay, I'm going to do two. So I, like, I'm disrupting your process. So no, my, first I love one, it. my first one is um, a Ralph Waldo Emerson, which has been a quote that I've loved for quite a while, which is rings and jewels are but apologies for gifts. The only true gift is a portion of thyself. And wow. I love that quote because it just reminds me of just you know, am I showing up to people? And the second one is a lyric from Stevie Wonder. Have you noticed a theme? I love Stevie Wonder. (laughs) It's from his song called As. And he says, you can bet your life and that and twice it's double that God knew exactly where he wanted you to be placed. Oh, you have some good one. I love that you have two for every question. This is really good. (laughs) Okay. So you've already worn a ton of different hats in your career. So Putting aside all the hats you have worn in your career up to this point, Whitney, if you could choose a completely different profession, what would it be and why? And be good at it. Well, of course. Yeah, of course. Yeah. I think you'll be good at anything you do, but it goes without saying. I would be a a hyphenate. I would be a jazz pianist and singer. Oh, fantastic. That's (laughs) That's great. Okay. Next one. What would you do? If you were given a free 60-second advertisement during the Super Bowl, it's the largest TV audience in the globe for one day, what would you want to tell the world? Okay, you could probably guess, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I would say, if you want to make your goal, S-curve of learning, hit that touchdown, make that goal. You need to understand what growth looks like for you personally. And if you do, you're going to grow and you're going to win the game of life. That's what I love that. I love We had Whitney, the cheerleader coming out a little bit right there. I saw (laughs) that. That was really good. Really good. (laughs) All right, Whitney, if you were stranded on an Island and could pick any celebrity dead or alive to be with you, who would it be and why? Okay. The ones that are coming to mind for me, there's probably someone that's more useful, but Mike Rowe, because he's like dirty jobs and could fix anything or Jocko Willink, because he would get us off that Island. Yes, he would. That guy is an, he has a fantastic podcast for you listeners that have not heard Jocko. And I've also heard him on the Tim Ferriss show as well. That guy is a stud among studs. Unbelievable. So I know you said stranded, but I would want someone to get me off the island <laughs> and he would get me off that island. Yes, he would. All right, Whitney, last question. This is the ultimate dinner question, meaning there is no consequences tomorrow. Yep. You'll wake up, you'll be fine, whatever is on the plate or plates. But I wanted to ask you, what, Whitney, is your ultimate dinner? What's on the plate or plates and in the glass if you want something in the glass as well? 
Yeah. Okay. I've got two again. So I interviewed for the podcast uh, probably about a year ago, uh, Ben Churi, who's the chef at Attica in, in Melbourne, Australia. And so I would fly people over and have dinner in his restaurant and just have him just whatever he wanted to carte blanche for, you know, 10 people that I care about. The second one was a little bit more homey. And this is actually my favorite restaurant in the world. It's Red Iguana. It's in Salt Lake City, Utah the best Mexican food. And for me, comfort food is Mexican food. Cause remember I was born in Spain, even though it's different continents. And so I would close out the restaurant. I would have just open to people that I would want to be there and just have people be able to say to the chef, I want this, I want a cheese enchilada, whatever you want, and just eat Mexican food and virgin mint mojitos. Oh my gosh. That sounds good. You know, I've been to Salt Lake a handful of times and I've never thought of Salt Lake Mexican food. And maybe that's because California boy over here, but oh yeah, you have to I'm gonna look that up the next time I go. You have to go there. It's amazing. Sounds good. It's amazing. <laughs> oh good. Whitney, this was so much fun, so educational. And like we said in the middle of the podcast, there's definitely gonna be people you influence as you do every single day. So thank you for that. And I wanted to ask you if there's anything you want to leave the listeners with in addition to waiting for the smart growth book to come out. Mm. Well, first of all, thank you, Rami. This was so fun. And I'm, I have a little bit of holy envy going with the fact that you have a name that no one in the world else has because it makes family history very easy. <laughs> and I would also say just reminder to everybody is this notion of when you know where you are in your growth, then you can affect your capacity to grow and be willing to jump to new S curves because again, growth is our default setting. And when you grow, that's when you're going to be happy. And I want people to be happy. Great way to end it. Thank you, Whitney. Thank you. Thanks again, listeners. And I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Whitney Johnson. You can find Whitney on LinkedIn, WhitneyJohnson.com, the Disrupt Yourself podcast, and look out for her newest book coming titled Smart Growth. And you can find me at my website, RamiZay.com. That's R-O-M-Y-Z-E-I-D.com. Thanks again for listening, everyone. And I hope you all learned something interesting.